to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Can you believe it? It's been about nine and a half, ten months. We went through Romans entirely from chapter 1 to chapter 16. And now we have the opportunity to go through 1 Corinthians. We've titled this series as we go, we're going to be going through this series called Church in the City. Where it's a series through the letters that Paul wrote to 1st and 2nd Corinth. It's so important that as you come today, I encourage you, we're going to do an introduction of Corinthians today. But if you've come today, maybe as a guest, as a friend, or as a family member, that you would come back so that you, can, so that you won't miss out on what's going to be taking place as we go through every chapter and every verse of 1st Corinthians. And as we go there, I want to tell you that church in the city is so important because we're learning what it means to follow Christ in our world today. Maybe today you want to know what it means to follow Christ in our world today. This entire theme of 1 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul comes with a strong message of holiness. And if there is something that we need today in our time, in our culture, in our world today, is holiness. Today we're going to set the stage so that we understand Corinth a little bit. And Corinth was actually, it's so relevant to study Corinthians, or the, the letter to Cor- the Corinthians, because some pastors and commentators have even called it, not only the letter to the Corinthians, but also the letter to the Californians. <laughs> to us, to you, and to me. See, Corinth was a place with such a liberal culture in that time. And if you want to know how to live holy in an unholy world, we have to go to Corinthians. Maybe you say, I'm struggling to live holy in an unholy world where the world doesn't influence me, but I influence the world through the message of Jesus Christ. Let us go to Corinthians. See, the worldview in Corinthians was that they had a free for all culture where everyone was doing right in their own eyes, and they were led by self-pleasure. Isn't that the culture that we live in today? Where we see that, that the liberal agenda, where everything is right in my own eyes, goes. Where self-pleasure is what leads me. Where I can do what's right, and, and as long as it makes me happy, it's okay. It's a free for all culture. In fact, Corinth was an ideal city for commerce. It was very busy, just as you would see Southern California be busy in Los Angeles. It was a place where travelers migrated in and out, and it was ethnically, multicultural, diverse in its demographic. People were traveling in and out of Corinth. Such a busy place. In fact, Corinth was also called the Vanity Fair of the Roman Empire. We see in our magazines, in our billboards, in our commercials, all over television and social media, that's all about vanity. And if Corinth was called the vanity fair of the Roman Empire, is that message uh, that Paul gives to Corinth not relevant for you and for me today? You see, in Corinth, it was interesting because the people in Corinth, they were so proud. They loved debating. They loved showing off how much they knew. In fact, they thought they knew everything and they debated with one another. They were also notorious here. Corinth was very well known for immorality. And this is exactly why this message is so perfect for us today. 
Because in our world, we see that there is immorality taking place, and immorality is ruling. We see that lust and sexual immorality is at its highest peaks than it ever has been before. And sexual immorality was so high, in fact, they, they had a nickname that they used, the Corinthians. And that Greek word that they would use to call each other was Corinthazomai. They would say, Corinthazomai. They would call somebody that if you saw them behaving like a Corinthian. Somebody that was involved in gross sin or a sexual illicit behavior, they would call them Corinthazomai. You act like a Corinthian. You act like one that's involved in gross sin or sexual sin. And it, it was so heavy that they started to call each other these names. In fact, even in the temple, think about this. There was temple prostitution taking place. At the gates of the temple, sin had creeped in to the church. I want you to think about that. Sin had creeped in to the church. Because even today, sin has creeped into the church. And sexual immorality, it has become so prevalent now. And, and we, we, I pray that even as we go through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that we would go back to our morals, that we would go back to our values, and, and we would go back to our principles that are led by the Bible, that are not led by emotion, that are not led by opinions. That are not led by people, but they would go back to the morals, the values, and the principles that we learn in Scripture. That we would not get out of control when it comes to our morals and our values that come from the Lord. You see, the reason why Paul wrote this letter in 1 Corinthians, and the purpose in why he wrote it, is he wrote it to a troubled church. And when we say church, we, we can talk about one another. Maybe today you're troubled. Maybe today you're going through a difficulty. And he wrote it to a troubled church, to a church that was infected by sin, a church that had a lot of division, a church that was crippled by spiritual abuse of their gifts. And this was completely a recipe for disaster. You think about a church that is infected by sin, a church that has division, a church that is crippled by the spiritual abuse of their gifts, and that is a recipe for disaster. In fact, this church was in need of radical spiritual surgery. And I pray that today, maybe you've come and said, Lord, I am in need of radical spiritual surgery. Surgery, look at my heart as a great physician, Lord, and you tell me what I need to change in my life because I do not want to be the same. Paul goes in there as that physician because they are in need of radical spiritual surgery. And although the believers had a lot of growing up to do, they had to leave their immoral, selfish behaviors and their contemptuous, divisive ways of their pagan neighbors. You see, what was taking place is that the world was influencing the church instead of the church influencing the world. And we see that taking place. You know why? Because we don't want to offend people. And now we're being dictated, the church, the Word of God, it's being watered down in our workplaces, in our homes, and wherever we go, because we're too scared to offend people when we talk about Jesus. Let me tell you something, there's more than one way to give a message. And it starts with our lives, living holy lives. Living holy lives. Here in Corinth, Paul diagnoses the problem. And he, his aim is to put them back on course. Maybe today you've gone off of course. 
Maybe today you were following the Lord and you're maybe theologically sound or, or correct outwardly, but inwardly you're far from God. Today God's calling you to get back on course. He's calling you to really understand what the problem is. For Corinth, the problem was pride and a lack of true love in the church. When you have pride and a tr- lack of true love in the church, the church is, is leading its way now to disaster. The church is not a place for pride. The church is a place for humility. And the church is a place where we can love one another. The church is not a place for cliques, for divisions, for celebrities, for, for people to grow a fan base or use it as a platform to build a name for themselves. The church is a family and God and Christ are the head. It's so important as we study this. Because once we, the moment that we just start to destroy the, the unity of the church, we are destroying the power of the church. And that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to work when there is unity in the church. And there are three things every healthy church needs. Number one, every church needs humility. Every church needs honesty. And every church needs holiness. What are we doing today? To take steps towards humility as a body of Christ. To look towards honesty when it comes to true love. And to look at our lives with the lens of holiness as we look and examine ourselves. We talk about humility, we talk about honesty, and we talk about holiness. Humility, honesty, and holiness. How does that look today in our lives? Paul comes here as the doctor, as the surgeon. And he identifies this problem. And I think it's so important because me and you, it is as if, as if we were go to the doctor, right? And the doctor diagnoses a problem, maybe saying you have an infection in your stomach. And you need to receive this certain type of treatment. It would be very foolish of us to be able to say, you know what, I don't recommend that doctor to anyone. Can you believe him? He told me that I have an infection in my stomach. Never again will I go to that man. You know, sometimes we come to church and we say, you know, never again will I read that message. Never again will I hear those words. But Paul is here, is going, and he's saying, we need, to be, we need to treat here what is wrong. And what was wrong is that there was an infection that was taking place in the church, and it was that sin had to creep in to the lives of the people in the church. We have to be careful that we protect our lives. That we don't allow sin to creep into our homes and into our lives. What, what, what's amazing about this book is that some of the key learnings and the values and the benefits that we're going to learn is that number one, our calling is holiness. I want you to know that your calling is holiness today. And we're going to learn about biblical and spiritual morals. That when, you, when it comes to making decisions in our culture, that your decisions that you get, that the, the, the things that you stand for come from the Bible. And I love what one pastor once said, you have to stand for something or else you'll fall for anything. What do you stand on? Do you stand on God's word where the values and the morals and the principles that you stand for is not self-pleasure, it's not a free-for-all culture, it's not a liberal agenda or mentality, it's the Bible and that's what I stand on. We also are going to look at how to use our spiritual gifts. God has given each and every one of us gifts and as He's given us each gifts... We're all necessary to one another to function together as a body. Every single gift here is necessary so that the body can function and the body can grow and the body can be edified. You think about it, we are the body of Christ and and the feet do something, the hands do something, the eyes do something, the mouth does something, the ears do something. We all, every function here does its share. But also you learn about singleness. You're single here. 
We're going to talk about singleness. We're going to talk about marriage, what the Bible says about marriage. We're going to talk about what the Bible even says about divorce. Is it our own opinion? Can we just get divorced because of any reason or because we want to when it comes to Scripture? We're going to talk about even subjects when it comes to marriage and divorce. Subjects like sex. What does the Bible teach about sex? What does the Bible teach about our Christian liberties as well? And it's so important that we go through this so that we are well-rounded Christians and we grow up in the Lord. Let me tell you this, the right way. You want to grow up in the Lord the right way. As we're working together as one body of Christ and understanding that we have victory in Jesus Christ. He is our living hope because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We now have hope. In fact, he even uses this book as an apologetic book in, in that he names about 500 names between First and Second Corinthians. 500 names that were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Just think about that. Because he wants to push them to the hope and to now to understand that they have the hope in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1 says this. As we go on. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. To the church of God who is at Corinth. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. With the name of Jesus, our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul here opens up the letter. So interesting. He greets them first. And as he greets them, his purpose here in his greeting is love. His purpose is not only his greeting is love, but his purpose is holiness here. We see that in verse 1 it says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. We always see that in his greetings, every time he opens up a new letter, he says, what's my calling? What is my purpose? What has God called me to do? And it's so interesting as we read this is that we would study what it means to be called. Because your calling is what God has placed in your life in the purpose of what he has given you. Maybe some of you, he's called you to be a teacher. Maybe He's called you to be a mechanic. He's called you to be a mother, a father. Whatever He's called you to do, to understand that your calling comes from God. And your calling from the Lord should be number one in your life. In fact, for Paul here, his calling was apostle. An apostle means one who is sent, or a special ambassador, a messenger of Jesus. He said, I am called to do this. Number one, understand your calling. You know what happens when you understand your calling? You're able to live out the will of God in your life. You understand what God's called you to do. And your calling should be number one. You can quit your job, but you can never quit your calling. That's what God has placed in your life. In fact, we should always choose calling over comfort. Sometimes we say, Lord, I don't want to do what you call me to do because it requires me to step out of my you know, uh, zone of my comfort zone. I don't want you to, I don't want to do what you've called me to do, Lord, because maybe uh, you are stretching me in certain areas and I don't like the way it feels. But we should always choose calling over comfort. And in verse 1, it says here, an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. You see, you, you, you see that he goes and he talks about the will of God. Why? Because he wants to live in the will of God. It's important that we today learn to live in the will of God. To not live outside of the will of God. You know how we live outside of the will of God? 
When we start to say, you know what, I don't want to do, I reject the calling of God that what He has for me. I don't want to live a holy life. I'm living outside of His will. He's saying here, I'm living in and through the will of God. I have this calling because of God and it is through the will of God that I'm being obedient to this calling. When you know the, will, the calling that God has for your life, you're able to step into that calling and say, Lord, you have this purpose, you have this purpose, this plan in my life, and I want to live out that plan. I want to obey you. I love that Paul here says, it's not through the will of man, it's not through the wisdom of human wisdom or understanding and knowledge, it's not through human experience that I am an apostle, it's because of the will of God. And I value the will of God more than I value human wisdom. What do you value today? Do you value maybe the opinions of other people? Do you value human wisdom? The status quo or the experience of what other people might think about you? Or do we value the will of God? Our responsibility as Christians is that we would never step out of the will of God. That we would never deviate out of the will of God. When we started our faith and our journey with Jesus Christ, understand this please, we started that journey at the cross. And we have to stay at the cross. And we have to finish at the cross to never leave the will of God. In fact, the cross is the place where the journey begins. And we are never to deviate that place in our disobedience, being distracted from the cross, but stay there. You know why? Because it's possible for a Christian to live a carnal life. And sometimes as Christians, we live carnal lives. We say, Lord, you've forgiven me of my sin. But the gospel message is not only to forgive you of your sin, the gospel message is also to deliver you of your sin. Sometimes we, the Lord forgives us. And we, we thank God, Lord, thank you because you've forgiven me. But He also asks that, to ask the Lord, Lord, I pray for strength that you would deliver me also from these sins. Because I don't want to live a carnal lifestyle. And it's possible, sometimes as Christian believers, we live on such a carnal level instead of a spiritual level. Where our carnalities are driving us, our desires are driving us. And it's possible to even walk after the flesh when we've been converted to walk after the Spirit. Think about it, God's called you to walk after the flesh. And here we are living after, uh, you know, called you to walk after the Spirit. Here we are, we're living after the flesh. It doesn't align with the will of God. You see, the letter to the Corinthians here in the will of God is that, that here Paul is exposing here with the problem. And he's saying there's a problem with low-level Christian living. There is a problem with low-level Christian living where it's driven by your flesh and it's not driven by the Spirit. And it says here now, by the will of God and Sostenius our brother. This is a brother, a fellow worker that he met back in Acts with Priscilla and Aquila. He's saying, this is a brother that's with me as well. And what are we learning here that Paul is aligning himself with his calling He's aligning himself with the will of God. He's becoming here the man that God wants him to be. Are you the man and the woman that God wants you to be today? Or have you gone off of course possibly? In verse 2 it says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. See, now he's saying, I am Paul. And as, as here that I am, as I'm giving you now the will of God, as I'm telling you that I am in God's will, I'm sending this letter to the church. This is for you and for me. We are the church. This is just the place, but we are the church. And the church, if you study that word, it means ecclesia. 
And what that means is really it's an assembly or it's a gathering of God. He says the assembly and the gathering of God. Those that come to worship and those that come to serve the Lord. These people right here is who I'm sending this letter. And he identifies them as one thing. Verse 2 it says to those church that are worshiping God, that are serving God, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that's your identity right there, sanctification. When you've given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's called you to live a life that is sanctified. Sanctified means that you have been made holy. Sanctified means that you don't live after this world. That, that the pride, the ego, the selfishness, all the lusts and all those desires, you have put them to death because you want to live sanctified. In fact, sanctification is a process. And that sanctification and our holiness only comes from our position with Christ. And not, it does not come in our own goodness. Do you see that in verse 2 it says, To those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You can't be sanctified outside of Christ Jesus. And if you say, you know what, I've walked away from Jesus. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. How can we be sanctified? The only way that we're sanctified, it's when our condition in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's sad because the church sometimes gets off a course and here is reminding them, get back in Christ Jesus. Be sanctified. Sanctified is the calling of the church, is the condition of the church. In fact, sanctification means to be set apart from the world for God's special use. When you study that word, am I set apart from the world for God's special use? And this is an ongoing process that not only am I sanctified, but every day I'm making decisions to be set apart from the world so that I can take steps towards holiness. Why? Because God is concerned about your holiness. You want to be used by God, then you have to make yourself usable. You want to be something that is a, a person that is approved by the Lord, then we have to come to Him with a holy heart. We have to say, Lord, use me here. And it says in verse 2, called to be saints. Not only are you sanctified, but you're called to every day be a saint. And you would think, well, I thought that we didn't believe in saints. But the word saint means set apart. The word saint means someone that's holy. The word saint means uh, the church, the Christians. We are all called to be saints. And he's saying this very clearly. He says, those that are called to be the saints with all who are in every place, with the entire church, not just in Corinth, but everyone else who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. You see, he's understanding that our Lord and Master is Jesus Christ, theirs and ours, all of us. We're united in a family with, through the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're called to be sanctified and to be saints. The New Living Translation reads this verse, He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. Just as He did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. What is He saying? We are called to live holy lives. And we have to protect our holiness. We have to protect our sanctification. You would ask yourself, how can I be pure in an unpure world? How can I stay pure when in the world around me, at work, and maybe at home, my neighbors, all of it around me, it is not pure. For Corinth, that was the situation. And they had allowed the external influences to come in, or the spirit of the age to come in and change the church. In fact, I'm going to give you four ways on how you can stay pure in an unpure world. Coming straight out of the scripture. Number one, if you want to stay pure in an impure world, you have to live according to His Word. Number one, to live according to His Word. And you would say, well, that's pretty obvious that I have to live according to His Word to stay pure and holy in an impure world. 
But I'm going to read to you what Psalms 119 verse 11 says. The psalmist says this, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, you want to stay pure in an unpure world. Number one, get in the word of God. Stay in the word of God. Grow in the word of God. Know the word of God. It it says here, living according to his word can keep you pure in an unpure world. It's been said before that sin keeps you from his word and his word keeps you from sin. When you're in the Word of God, guess what? It's going to keep you away from sin. And also, and you're in sin, it's going to keep you away from the Word of God. Maybe you, you've walked away from the Lord and you see that those times that you've backslid, you're not reading the Bible. You don't even know where your Bible's at sometimes. But then when you read the Bible, when you stay in the Word of God, when you're memorizing the Word of God, when you hide the Word of God in your heart, guess what? It, it draws you more to holiness and away from sin. You want to be drawn away from sin? Then hide the Word of God in your heart. That's why we need a daily intake, a healthy daily intake of God's Word in our lives so that we can grow up to be holy, set apart, and stay sanctified through Jesus Christ. Number one, if you want to stay holy in an unholy world, Live according to His Word. Hide His Word in your heart. You see, it it has also been said that it doesn't matter how much you master the Bible. How much does the Bible master you? How much is the Bible changing you? Number two, if you want to live holy in an unholy world, make a conscious decision. Make a conscious decision not to lust. You would ask yourself, well, how do you make that conscious decision? (laughs) Job, in Job 31 verse 1, made a conscious decision not to lust. In fact, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look or lust at a young woman. And this goes both to men and women. I made a conscious decision in my eyes not to pay attention, not to allow myself to look at something that's going to cause me to sin. I made a covenant with my eyes. I made that decision that my eyes will not look at something that will lead me to sin. If you want to live holy in an unholy world, make a conscious decision not to lust. That means for a gentleman, if the, if the girl is going that way, guess what? You're going the other way. You're going this way. That means if you're flipping through the channels and, and you're seeing a billboard or whatever it is as you're driving by, you're making a conscious decision not to look at something that's going to lead you to sin. It's so important that we do that, that we look and we protect what we see every single day. Number three, if you want to live holy in an unholy world, we have to walk under the control of the Holy Spirit. Not only should you walk and live according to His Word, not only should you make a conscience decision not to lust, but also walk under the control of the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit shapes and changes your desires and your thoughts. When now that your desires have changed now, and your desires are aligning with the Holy Spirit. It's not what I want. It's not what my opinion. It's, it's the Lord. I'm submitted to the Holy Spirit. I'm, being, I'm under the influence of the Spirit of God. Paul tells the church in Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit. He tells the church, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know how you can walk in the Spirit? By feeding the Spirit. What you feed will grow and what you starve will naturally die. If you starve those desires that you know don't please God, guess what? Those desires will naturally die because you starved those desires. But if you feed the Spirit, you feed the Word of God, you feed prayer, you feed you staying in the Word of God, guess what? Those desires are going to grow and you're going to be walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And we have to ask ourselves that question. Am I walking in the Spirit or am I walking under the influence 
uh, of the flesh. You know, when you, you hear about someone under the influence of a substance or an external outside substance, it changes the way they talk. It changes the way they, they, they uh, think about things, the way they make decisions. It changes the way, the way they walk. It changes everything about them. They're under the influence of an outside substance. But think about it. When you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, should it not change the way you make decisions? Should it not make change the way that you talk? When you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, should not it change the way you walk and you live your life every single day? How do you live pure in an unpure world? By walking under the control, not of the flesh, but walking under the control of the Holy Spirit. And number four, how do you live pure in an unpure world? By fleeing sexual temptation and pursuing righteousness. We have to be people that flee from any type of sexual temptation and pursue righteousness. Here in Corinth, we saw a sexual immorality that was taking place and it was so heavy and it's heavy in our world today as well. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful lust. I want you to run away from it. I don't want you to look at it. I don't want you to contemplate it. I don't want you to entertain it. You know why sometimes we enter into temptation? Because we entertain temptation in our minds. Because we allow it to just dwell in our minds. And we start to entertain temptation. And guess what happens? First, after we entertain it, we start to enter into that temptation. He tells him here, flee youthful lust and pursue or run after righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. You're supposed to run away from youthful lust. And you're, we are called to run towards faith, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. How are we pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace? What about our lives say righteousness, faith, love, and peace? And it goes beyond that, but with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. See, we are also to gather with one another, with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart, because it helps us grow. And we said it before, if none of our friends and none of our relationships or, or those that we have a community with and those that we spend time with, if none of them fear God and none of your friends fear God, guess what? You have to find yourself a new set of friends <laughs> because those are the ones that are going to help you grow in the Lord with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. We're calling today on the Lord with a pure heart. We're fleeing youthful lust and we're pursuing Faith, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You want to live pure in an unpure world? Number one, we want to live according to God's word. We want to make a conscious decision not to lust. We want to walk under the control of the Holy Spirit. And we want to flee sexual temptation and pursue righteousness. Verse 3 here of 1 Corinthians says this now. And he uses this in every single letter, grace to you and priests from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he uses grace and peace to you. And to us, it's multiplied grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because I think that sometimes we don't understand the grace of God. When we understand, when we come to, to, to face to face with the grace of God, it instills in us a peace that we've never experienced before. 
Just think about it. God not only forgave you, He not only showed mercy in forgiving you, He outdid Himself, and then He went and He offered you grace, which is a free gift of salvation. And now, because of His goodness, we that do not deserve heaven have a free pass into eternal life with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because God is good. And when you understand how good God is, think about that. You have a peace in your life that nothing else can replace. See, the problem is that when we don't understand, we don't have peace. You understand when that a lot of people in our lives and even at church and, and when we, we uh, you know, meet people at work, wherever it would be, there's a lot of people with no peace. And they try to fill that peace with different things in life. And you cannot substitute the peace from God with anything here on earth. In fact, when you are able to know the peace of God, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and when you know the grace of God, you know grace is the source of my peace. I have peace in my life no matter what situation we're going through as Christian believers, as men and women. We have peace no matter what situation, and we experience peace because we know that God is always good. And if we trust the grace of God, then you know there's nothing to worry about. I have the peace of God. Not only do I know His grace, but I also have His peace. Verse 4, as we continue, and he goes on here and he says, I thank God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. He's thanking now the Lord always for the church. It's a lifestyle of thanksgiving. We talked about it even last week, this last week. Thanksgiving is not a day. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle. And here he's thanking them now. He's thanking God always concerning the grace of God which was given to them by Christ Jesus. The grace of God that was given to them by Christ Jesus was the gifts that God had given the church. He said, I want to thank now God because He's given you gifts because you are in Christ Jesus. He starts to praise God. I want to thank God. You know what's awesome here about that we learn about Paul? That when you focus on the Lord, even in the darkest moments of hours of life, we can be filled with praise. Think about it. He knew how dark that, that world was in Corinth. And when we focus on the Lord, even the darkest hours, you can say, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for what you've done in my life. Think about it. If every day you woke up and you thank God for your spouse, do you think you'll have a better marriage? <laughs> You think about if every day you woke up and you thank God for your children, do you think you'll have a better relationship with them? You think of every day you woke up and you thank God for your job, that He's provided a job so that you can have and He can meet all your needs with, do you think that the Lord will use you there even at your workplace? See, He has an attitude of thanksgiving always. And He said, I thank God. This is an attitude and a lifestyle of thanksgiving because I'm focusing on what God has given me and even in the darkest hours, I can still praise God. The Lord, He praises now what God is doing in their life before He offers before He offers this exhortation that's going to come. He encourages and then He exhorts. Verse four, it says here. Uh, verse five, I'm sorry, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. You were enriched. You have become spiritually prosperous now. You have the opportunity to grow. God has given you everything you need so that you can grow and you can stay in His will. And sometimes we think, well, God hasn't given me what I need so I can stay in His will. No, He has enriched you. He has given you rich blessings. He has made you spiritually prosperous, not only by word, but also by knowledge. And you know everything that you need to know to grow up in the Lord. What does this teach us in verse 5? That we have a message to proclaim as He has richly blessed us with knowledge from His word. We have a message to proclaim that God has given all of us all. 
We have a, a gospel to preach, His word to live by, and His life to live out. Verse 6, it says this, Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, Christ has been confirmed in you because of His word. Christ has been confirmed in you because you've been richly blessed and you have utterance, you have knowledge and you're able to grow in the Lord. And verse 7, so that you come short in no gift. You have no excuses here, he's saying. You can come short in no gift. You can come short in no knowledge. Why? Because God has provided every spiritual resource that you need until the coming of Jesus Christ. This is so interesting for us to know and to study Verse 7, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given you every gift. He, he has made you not sure in any gift as we eagerly wait. And that's a, such a power line right there. Eagerly wait for our, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eagerly waiting for that? Or are we waiting for other things? You see, God has given you now every spiritual gift that you need as we eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the gifts are for? The spiritual resources that God has given you there for? The gifts are that, that God can work in us and through us. The gifts are that, that He gives us is He gives us everything that we need so that we can do His will until He comes back. And sometimes we say, well, I don't have enough to do His will. God has given you His Word. He's given you gifts so that as you eagerly wait, you can spend time waiting, doing His will. While you wait, what are you doing? Are you working while you're waiting? Sometimes we say, I just want to wait to, the, to see what the Lord has for me next. But we're not working as we're waiting. God has given us gifts so that as we eagerly wait, we wait with fervency, we wait with a passion, we wait with a love, we wait with expectancy, we can be doing His will. We don't have to live outside of the will of God. Verse 8, who will also conform you to the end. To the end, He will be faithful to us and keep us strong, it says. That you may be blameless. First he talks about sanctification and us being saints. But then he ends right here in verse 8 and 9 as we finish. That you may be blameless in that day of our Lord Jesus Christ. How, do you look, how will you look in that day of our Lord Jesus Christ? See right now he's praising the church. He's building the church up. He's letting the church know that they are called to be sanctified. They're called to be saints. But that when the Lord returns they may be found blameless. God has given you gifts so that you can do His will. And when you do His will, you're eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And as you wait for Jesus Christ, He's going to confirm you or give you the strength to live a life in obedience and a life of blamelessness to the end. You see, it's been said many times, it's not about how you start, but it's about how you finish. A lot of people start the race well, but how are you finishing the race? Until the end, the Lord is so faithful that you may be found blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord will keep you strong. The Lord will keep you sanctified. The Lord will keep you justified and holy upon the return of Jesus. And there's something that we want is to be found blameless. Lord, I want to be found blameless. I want to be found innocent. I want to be found living a holy life. That is the goal and the attitude of the Christian believer. And in verse 9 it says... God is faithful, comma. You see the encouragement that He offers them? Man, you're living in a dark world. You're living in a dark culture, but God is faithful. 
You can never say that God isn't faithful. Oh Lord, it's too hard to live a holy life today. No, God has given you the strength. He's given you the power through the Holy Spirit. He's given you His words so that you would use to stay holy and to live blameless. And He also is faithful to you. See, sometimes we can be faithless or unfaithful, but God is always faithful. And it says in verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship. Not only was God faithful, but He also calls you into fellowship. You know what a fellowship means? We've, we've heard it many times be, be used in its original word, koinonia, which means to share things in common. That which is shared in common. And it's interesting here because he's saying, God wants to have a mutual devotion with you. God wants to have a mutual interest with you. And he's invited you into a partnership to live together. That's what fellowship means. That you share one another's qualities. You see, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, it tells us that God shares everything about himself with us. He shares all His qualities with us so that we can be complete in Him. Colossians 2 verse 9 and 10 it says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And it says, And you are complete in Him. I'm complete in Jesus. That means that outside of Christ I'm incomplete. He shares all His qualities so that we can become complete in Him who is the head of all principality and all power. All His resources are yours. Just think about that. That's what fellowship means. God is saying, I have made all my resources available to you so that we can have fellowship. What does that mean about us? That means that all our resources should also be His. All our resources should be His. Our time, our treasure, and our talent should be His. That's what fellowship means. That means that our personality, our possessions, our abilities should be, should be given over to the Lord. That's when completeness and communion happens. All that belongs to us, which is little at best, belongs to the Lord. And that is the response that God is seeking. He's seeking to have fellowship with His children. Are you seeking to have fellowship with the Lord as well? You see, God has given you grace. Because of grace, He's given you peace. Then He spiritually enriched your life. And He gave you the privilege of partnering with Him for life in fellowship. So that you can live a life that is blameless. So that you can live a life that is holy. Are you enjoying that type of lifestyle with the Lord? Where God, you said, Lord, I know that you forgave me. I don't want to only be forgiven. Lord, I also want to be delivered. I don't want to deviate from the cross. You see, we cannot allow sin to creep into our lives and be living in sin and call ourselves Christians. We could not be living in sin, a carnal lifestyle, and call, call ourselves Christians. Here, Paul, for every aspect of carnality, he offers a dynamic remedy with the gospel of Jesus Christ that there is deliverance of our sins. What good is it to be forgiven if you're not delivered? You're still under bondage. And he wants to tell us and teach us, you know what, it's, we, we have to go deeper and further in our obedience with the Lord. I love what G. Campbell Morgan says in English preacher when he says the measure of failure on the part of the church is the measure in which she has allowed herself to be influenced by the spirit of the age. We are sometimes told today that we, the church, supremely needs is that we should catch the spirit of the age a thousand times. No, what the church supremely needs is to correct the spirit of the age. 
You see, we're not to catch the spirit of the age. We're not to try to blend in or try to make ourselves relevant to the world that others approve of us. In fact, we're not to catch the spirit of the age. We're called to correct the spirit of the age living holy lives. Why? Because that's what God's called us into. Fellowship, blamelessness, and holiness. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, because we can be here gathered together. Knowing that you are faithful. That even if when we live in an unfaithful culture, you are faithful to us. And we ask, Lord, if we've deviated, we stay, if we went off course, Lord. Maybe we need that radical spiritual surgery, Lord. That you would take us back to your grace where you remind us how good you are. And, and you are so good that there is no other place we'd rather be. We want to stay with you, Lord. We want to stay in your goodness. We thank you because you give us the strength. You confirm us to the end. You give us the strength, Lord, to be blameless and be found blameless until the end. And I pray, Lord, that all our calling, Lord, would be founded on you, Lord, that we wouldn't try to do things that you never called us to do. That we would never be too busy that we cannot spend time with you.